Good morning, everyone. If you were listening to Mike just a moment ago, you'll know that we are uh, going to be spending some time in Psalm 103 today. So if you've got your Bibles with you uh, and you'd like to follow along in there, please do be turning to Psalm 103. It will come up on the screen as well. So don't worry if you haven't got a Bible with you. That's not a problem at all. It will come up on the screens. But just as you're finding your way there, um, we had planned today to, to give a bit of feedback from the gathering, uh, which is relational mission uh, a few times a year, uh, an opportunity for leaders and, and folk within the church to be able to gather together. Uh, previously, it's been called prayer and equipping, so really with a focus on, on going along and being trained and equipped, but also time to pray. But they've very deliberately changed the way that things are done there, and we were hoping to, to get some feedback from Lou and from Barry, who were there, just thought it'd be good for us to hear uh, what God had been saying and what's been going on. You know, we'd asked you all to be praying uh, for us, so we thought actually it'd be good, an opportunity for, for you to hear a bit about that. Uh, Neil was going to be kind of helping to, to facilitate that, but he's woken up today with a really bad back, unable to be with us, so we're going to have to postpone that uh, probably until next week. Uh, but should we just very quickly, should we pray for Neil? Uh, Lord, we just bring them to you today. Father, we pray uh, that even in these moments as we're here today, uh, that you would just be bringing healing to his back. Lord, would you restore mobility? Lord God, would you take any stiffness or discomfort away? Lord, we pray that this is something that would not hinder him for long, but that you would come and deal with it right now as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so, so unfortunately, not been able to do that, but uh, I just, just wanted to share really... I guess what struck me coming out of the way that, that, we've done, that we're doing things now, and what I've found incredibly helpful. So the way that um, it used to be done, so prayer and equipping used to be that you, you would all be gathered, and a lot of it was very much uh, kind of teaching from the front, so perhaps fairly similar to what you have in a, in a church service, I guess you'd have time of worship, and then someone teaching from the front, uh, and then you kind of be split into sessions. It's a lot of that, uh, but then also opportunities to, to pray uh, through, through the days as well but the thing is is that you know it's possible to come and to not necessarily to engage with what's going on if it's from the front and someone is sharing from the front you have the you you even if you do it knowingly or not you you can engage to different levels can't you you can either fully engage with what's going on or you can maybe drift a little bit you can drift in and out of what's happening and that's true for for the days that we had a prayer and equipping but it's true for even if, right now, isn't it? as I'm coming to speak, we all have a responsibility to think, actually, how am I going to engage with what's coming on? And there can be distractions, can't there? Things that will come into our mind that might distract us from focusing on what's being shared. I was going to give some examples of what sorts of things might be, but then I thought, no, I'm just fueling. If I say things, just straight away everyone's going to go there anyway, and I'll be kind of battling against myself there. But it's true, isn't it? We can have these, we, we can kind of decide to what level are we going to engage, and whether meaningful or not, we can sometimes drift or, or whatever it may be. But so they've changed the format now within the gathering. So we, it's very much a lot more work around tables in groups. So with short amount of teaching from the front, but then straight away having conversations, having time to reflect on what we've heard and to be able to share that with one another, to be able to pray into that with one another. But really seeking God, even in those very early moments of hearing some teaching and then thinking, okay, so what is God saying to me at this point in my life? What is God putting his finger on in my life? And I found it so helpful. And a lot of the feedback I'm getting is actually it's really helpful to be able to have the opportunity to engage straight away with what's being taught. 
There's time to reflect and to allow God to speak and to share, uh, to, to speak to, to us, then to share it with others, and then to resolve what we're going to do with what God said, because we're looking for transformation. We're looking for growth. And in order to do that, actually, we need to take the things that we're hearing and the things that we're learning, and we need to reflect on those things. And we need to allow God to speak to us in them. So for you today, as you're kind of listening to what I'm going to be sharing, you have that decision, actually, how am I going to engage with what's um, sharing? But then also, you've got to decide what you're going to do with it afterwards. Are you just going to walk away and say, maybe I'll get a bit ahead of myself here, but say, oh, that was a good sermon. (laughs) Set myself up now. You could do that, but actually, what are you going to do with what you've heard and with what you've seen today? How are you going to engage with it? Are you going to give yourself time to reflect and to think and to ponder on it and allow God to speak to you? something for us to think about as we continue this series that we've called a worshipping community we're spending some time in the Psalms uh, and really it's come out of um, Paul's call to the church in Thessalonica to be a worshipping community a people that rejoice always uh, pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances and we're spending some time in the Psalms thinking about okay so we've got this call that Paul has given to the church what does that look like? How does that actually work itself out to, be, to look like a people who are a worshipping community? And actually the Psalms are a really helpful place to go. Because we see people worshipping and we see people responding to the situations they find themselves in. Really, uh, really looking to, to God and to his character and to his nature. And they're looking at what response that that brings about in their own life. And today we are looking at Psalm 103 and kind of linking in really with what I've just shared about the gathering and why that's been a particular highlight for me because what we'll see through this psalm is that David is looking for transformation of the affections of his heart. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for for change to come. He's looking for his heart to be changed, for his affections to be placed in the right place. So let's read this psalm Together, shall we? So Psalm 103, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. That brings that kids' club song right into my mind as I'm reading that one. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, So great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place Knows it, knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, 
to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now, if you've been with us over the last few weeks as we've been in this series, it's probably becoming a bit of a common thread that whoever's speaking is saying, there's a lot in here, we're not going to be able to cover everything in one in one go and that's absolutely fine and actually what we're looking to do is to just seek actually what's God saying to us in this moment for us to focus on so I'm not going to try and cover every verse in there but there's actually I started off with three things that I felt to focus on then I realized that was going to be wouldn't have been right to try and cover all of those so there are really two things that I want us to focus on that I think we can draw out of this psalm that I hope will be helpful to you and the first one thing that we're going to be thinking about is this, is what it is to be those who remember to rejoice. So we're going to think about remembering to rejoice, and then we're going to move on to look at the joy of sin removed. Okay, so remembering to rejoice, and then we'll think about the joy of sin removed. So let's think about remembering to rejoice. Now I was on Twitter the other day, and some of you may have heard of a guy called Lecrae. He's a a musician, an, an artist, a Christian guy. Uh, from the States, and he tweeted the other day, he said, shut down for 15 minutes a day for a month. No phone, no media, no talking, your mind and your soul will appreciate it. Now for you, maybe that's something you do often, and that wouldn't be that hard of a, wouldn't be that much of a challenge to have just 15 minutes a day where you put everything to one side, just have some time. For others, that might be a real struggle. To be able to do that. And actually looking at a lot of the comments that, were, that people were posting on his tweet. You could see actually for a lot of people. It, it was a really helpful reminder for them. To be like actually we need to be a people who take care of our souls. And of our minds. There's a lot that demands our attention. A lot of things that would demand our focus. But we do need to be a people who take care of our souls and our minds. Now David's point in this psalm. It, it's similar I guess, to, to what Lecrae is saying and to where Lecrae is. Obviously, there's the whole thing about mobile phones wasn't an issue then. But he's starting in a similar sort of place. And the reason I say this is because this psalm, it's not a prayer that David is praying to God, but rather he's talking to himself. Did you notice that as you're reading through? It's not about a conversation between him and God. It's a conversation that he's having with himself and he's exhorting himself. Rather, he's speaking to his soul. He's stirring himself up. He's telling himself about the way that he should be. And he's saying this to himself. He's saying, listen, soul, focus on God. He's saying, oh my soul, you need to bless God. And we looked a couple of weeks ago at this whole thing of blessing and what it is to bless the Lord. And to bless God is to speak good words about him. So he's stirring his soul up. He's saying, come on, soul, let's... Be, let's uh, be one who speak good, good works about God. But then he recognises that in order to do this, he has to call himself not to forget God's benefits. Do we see that? He says, oh, uh, bless, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not his benefits. In order to be someone that is blessing God, 
To be, in order for his soul to be a soul that pours out praise uh, and, and blessings to God, he has to remind himself of the benefits that come of being known by God. He's calling himself to a time of remembering who God is and what God has done. And the reason why he's doing this is because he's looking for a transformation of the affections of his heart as he takes time to reflect and to meditate. Knowing that as he does so, praise will be the result. He knows if I take this time to really focus on who God is and to focus on what God has done, to be able to meditate that, not rushing away, but spending time just thinking, this is who God is. This is what God has done. And he knows that as he does so, that something will start to change within him. That the affections of his heart will be reshaped and focused toward God. And that as he does so, praise and rejoicing will be the result. It will be the overflow of that. But he says, doesn't he? He says, all that is within me, bless the Lord. It's not just, this is just a part of me that I'm reserving for worshipping and praising God. He's saying, actually, all that is within me. No place left within me. I want to be totally and utterly changed to the extent that every fibre of my being is looking to bless God and looking to praise and to rejoice. See, it's easy to forget all that God has done. If we're not careful, it's easy to forget what God has done. Just like David, we need to be a people who talk to ourselves. To take time to remember God's benefits. Now when I say remembering to rejoice, we could, if you hear that, you could think of it uh, as in, okay, we, you know, we need to remember to have time to rejoice. You know, remembering, oh, it's time to rejoice. We could look at it like that. But actually, the way I'm meaning it and the way I hope that you'll remember it is actually allowing our remembrance and our meditation to bring transformation that, that, to, to, sorry, let me say that again. So allowing our remembrance and meditation to bring a transformation in our lives which will then fuel us into rejoicing and, and into praise. So using the act of remembrance to actually fuel our praise. So we're remembering in order to rejoice. And I think that's what David is calling us to. And this is what David does. So he calls to his soul. He tells himself, he says, listen, we're going to remember the benefits of God. And then he reflects on who God is. He says, this is who God is. He says, God who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He's taking these truths and he's reminding himself of them. Tim Keller puts it like this. He says, he's taking biblical truths and he's driving them into his own heart until it is affected, delighted, and changed by them. Let me read that again. He, he is taking biblical truths and driving them into his own heart until it is affected, delighted, and changed by them. This is, a, this is not an accidental thing that's happening for David here. This is very deliberate. He's reminding himself of the benefits of God. And these things that we've just read through those verses 3 to 5, in a sense we could look at them and we can say, actually, it, these um, are things that in general, that in general they're, they're true of God, aren't they? They, they uh, describe who God is. And they describe uh, what it means for us to be those 
that are known by him. But David moves from these things that are perhaps a bit more general uh, in, in the truth of, of God. But then he also reminds himself of God's work for his people through history. There's a change that then comes. He starts to think of actually what God has done throughout history for his people. And he thinks in particular about Moses and Israel. That's where his focus goes. So can you see that, that, that shift in thinking? He's gone from these are the things that are general about God. And now I'm going to think actually about what God has done specifically for the people of Israel and for Moses. How God redeemed and rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt. How he brought them out of that situation. How he led them through the wilderness. And while they were there, how he made his covenant with them. That promise that he would be their God and that they would be their people. And it's there, isn't it, where uh, he gives them the commandments. He says, okay, I'm going to be your God. And I'm going to look after you. You're, you're always going to be my people. But here, this is the way that I've called you to live. This is the right way for the people of God to live. So he gives them the commandments. And David's reminding himself of these things. But actually, when we look at the way that, that Israel is, and the, we, we look at the way that God is with Israel, we see a bit of a, a wayward family. And it's not to say that they always got things wrong, but actually if we look at the way that they were, we see that there were real times of ingratitude. Where rather than remembering his benefits, they were forgetting his benefits. There were times, wasn't it, where they were longing to be back, thinking actually we'd rather, where God has brought us out from, we'd rather be back there because life in some ways was easier. They'd forgotten what God had done for them and the benefits that he gives. They were neglectful of their relationship with him actually turning and looking for other things to worship other than God himself. So in that sense, they were a bit of a wayward family. So we see a wayward family, but we also see a gentle and loving father. Because throughout their history, we see God rescuing them. We see God healing them. We see God forgiving them, providing for them, and delivering them. And this is what David is focusing on. He's remembering this is the way that God has dealt with with his people. This people who in, in, at many times have been very wayward and neglectful in their relationship with God, but yet God's so loving and so gentle and caring with them. He's telling himself what God has done throughout history. He's not just thinking about actually this is what God has done this is what God has done in my life. And it's not that I'm saying that that's wrong. It's right that we remember the things that God has done in our life. And we spend time deliberately making sure we, we remember those and to think on those things. But in this instance, David's actually looking beyond himself. And he's looking beyond the time that he's alive and his place in history. And he's looking back and saying, actually, even outside of me, I'm going to look beyond that and see the way that God has been with his people. And we need to follow David's lead in this. We need to follow his lead and his example. See, it's in this story of, of redemption, this story of God with his people, where God actually proclaims his name to Moses. We see this in Exodus 34, verse 6. This is, it says that God uh, proclaims his name. He says this, he says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And faithfulness. This is how God describes himself to Moses. This is how God reveals himself to his people. And David is holding fast to this. We, see, we can see that because verse 8, 
In the psalm it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Isn't that what God has said about himself? Back in that passage in Exodus, David's taken hold of that. And he's, kind of, he's reminding himself, this is who God has said he is, and I'm going to take hold of that. And I'm going to know that God is merciful and gracious, that he's slow to anger, that he's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. But he's reminding himself of that. And then as the psalm continues, he takes those words that God spoke of himself, and he allows uh, himself to think through the implications of what that means. And really that's what we see through the rest of the psalm. It's like he's taking these words that God has spoken, that God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And through the rest of the psalm, we kind of see him kind of unpicking it. Actually, what does that look like? What does that mean for me? What does that mean for us? And as he does so, he's moved. Something changes within him. And at the end of the psalm, I'm going to jump right to the end of the psalm. We have the same call that we see at the start, don't we? says, oh bless the Lord, oh my soul. That's where he's starting and at the end he finishes with that same call. Oh bless the Lord, oh my soul. But now, not just his soul, but we also see at the end of the psalm, he's now calling the angels and all the works of creation to join with him. This is a call to God's creation to join him in blessing the Lord. It's like as he spent that, so he starts off saying, Oh, bless the Lord, oh my soul. He's stirring himself. He's calling himself to take that time to, to ponder and to meditate and to think. And as he does so, something stirs within him. Something grows within him to the extent that at the end, he's now crying out to all of creation to join him in blessing God. It's as if there's something within him where he's not going to be satisfied unless there are other people joining with him. But that's grown. And that's come as he's allowed himself to think upon the benefits of God. As he's allowed that to bring transformation into his heart. And that's what happens. That's what happens as we allow ourselves to be shaped and changed. When we really see God as he truly is, there's something within us that says, yes, I want to worship God, but oh, I want other people to come and join him with me. Not just other people, but even the angels and all creation, everything that God has created, surely that needs to be crying out in praise to God and blessing God. It's amazing to see what's happened in this man. You see, the overflow of allowing himself the time and space to remember. It's the overflow of giving himself that time to meditate as remembering leads to rejoicing. Now, David knew that God doesn't deal with his people as they deserve. He says that in this psalm. He says, actually, God doesn't deal with people as they deserve. Bearing in mind, he, he knew what Israel was like. Is that sort of wayward family. Not only that, he knew what he was like. And he knew that the way that God had dealt with him. He says, actually, God doesn't deal with his people as they deserve. He doesn't deal with them according to their sin. And we can have this picture of sin where we, we can think of sin as um, things that are right or things that are wrong. About whether we're breaking the rules. If you break the rules, then you're sinning. But Actually, what, what sin really comes down to is what the heart worships. 
Because what you worship will show itself up in how you behave and the things that you do. And so if we're worshipping things other than God, and putting other things in the place where only God should be, actually that will show itself in the way that we behave. And pretty much that's what, what sin would be, is where we're living in ways where we're worshipping things, or living for things other than God. And we see that, again, through Israel as an example. Oftentimes, where they're, where they're going away from God, or where, where sin is coming in, is because they're worshipping things other than, other than God. But God doesn't deal with his people as they deserve. And through this psalm, we see the joy that people have when their sins are taken away. So let's just spend a moment thinking about that, shall we? So we've spent a bit of time thinking about remembering to rejoice, looking at David as our example for that. Now let's think about the joy of sin removed. So if David says that God doesn't deal with people as they deserve, according to their sins, what do we deserve? Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. That's what sin deserves. That's where sin leads you. That's what the repayment for sin is. Yet, David says this, doesn't he? He says, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquity. And David was able to say that at that point in his life, because at the time that he was alive and at the time that he was writing, the forgiveness of sins was possible through offerings and sacrifices. In particular, once a year on the Day of Atonement, you can read about this in Leviticus 16, the high priest on that day, so once a year, that high priest would represent the whole of the nation and he would take two goats. And the first goat he would sacrifice and he would take the blood of the animal and would smear it around the altar and in the holy place. And then he would take a second goat, which was called the scapegoat. Now that scapegoat is a word that actually we we probably still use. It's not probably not an everyday word that we use, but it's a word that would come up in conversation from time to time. And what's our understanding of what a scapegoat is? You can answer me. So someone who who takes the blame or takes the punishment, even though it might not be them that deserves it, meaning that other people don't face that punishment or take the blame. (coughs) And so we have the second goat, the scapegoat. And what happens was the priest would lay hands on it. And as he did so, it was kind of this picture of Israel's sins being laid onto the goat. And then the goat was sent out into the wilderness, never to be seen again. So it was this picture, really this demonstration of what happens, uh, of, of, of the, the sins of the people actually being cast into the wilderness, never to be seen again, this separation from their sin. I found Andrew Wilson really helpful on this. In his, in his book, God Stories, he writes about this day, the Day of Atonement. And he talks about these two, two goats and in a way uh, what they represented. And the first goat, the one that was sacrificed and the blood was, was sprinkled on the altar and in the holy place. That was for the cleansing of the people's sins. So it restored Israel to right relationship with, with God. Where sin had come in and kind of corrupted and, uh, and, and distorted that relationship, actually this sacrifice meant that their sins were cleansed. And, uh, and, and at the same point their guilt was taken away. So their guilt 
was removed. Their guilt was cleansed by the death of an innocent. That's important that we recognize that. Their guilt was cleansed by the death of an innocent. So that was the first goat. And then with the second goat, with this scapegoat, what that, that was, a, 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 was about their separation from sin. So they've been cleansed from sin, but they've also been separated from their sin. That their sin has been taken away and never seen again. And in doing so, their shame has been removed by the exile of an innocent. So we've got the two goats. The first one, their guilt is cleansed by the death of an innocent. And secondly, their shame is removed by the exile of the innocent. And Andrew Wilson says this, he says, For Israel's sake and ours, both cleansing and separation are needed when God forgives, so that both guilt and shame are overcome. Sometimes we can focus very much on, on the first thing about our sins being cleansed and guilt being taken away. But we also need to realise that there's a separation that comes from our sins. Which means that the shame which we have has also been removed from us. So when David is writing, this is the understanding and experience that David has. He understood what the sacrificial system was about. He understood that, which is why he's able to say that uh, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. It's just a really beautiful really beautiful picture isn't it of just these immeasurable distances as high as the heavens are above the earth so great is his steadfast love as far as the east is from the west this is how far he's removed your transgressions from you it's not that your sins are waiting around the corner and you might be going through your life one day and then you're going to bump into them at some point it's like no they've been as far as the east is from the west who can who can measure that He's saying, actually, this is what God has done. Now, I sometimes can struggle with the whole thing around the shame. Where I know that my sins have been forgiven. And yet sometimes it's like they come back into my head and I can still feel shame about the things I've done. And maybe that's your experience too. But actually it's at those times we need to be able to, like David, stand on what the truth says. And actually the truth and the word of God says that your transgressions, your sins, think as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's taken them from you. That shame has been removed. See now with David and the systems of, of sacrifice and offerings, everything was good until the next year. And then it needed to be done again. It had to be repeated. But the Day of Atonement actually pointed forward to God sending his own son. To sending Jesus into the world. I'll read you something from Hebrews chapter 10. So God sent Jesus into the world. And in these verses, Jesus himself says why he came. It says that when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. 
as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said, above you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first, so in terms of the law and the offerings, he does away with the first in order to establish the second. That is what the will of God is. And by that, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Jesus himself said that he came to do away with sacrifices and offerings. And he did so by being the first goat. If we're thinking in terms of that day of atonement, he was the first goat. He was that sin offering that cleanses us before God. We sinned, he didn't. He got killed through crucifixion. We didn't. So he's like that first goat, that sacrifice that cleanses us before God. But he's also the scapegoat. See, Jesus wasn't crucified within the city of Jerusalem. But actually, he was crucified outside the walls of the city. And as we recognise that, actually, this is a picture. It is a picture of the Day of Atonement. Andrew Wilson says this. He says that Jesus was killed outside the city walls, outside the camp, to demonstrate that he was the way in which our sins were not just cleansed, but also removed from us. As he walked out of the city that his power had founded, and of which he was the king. Carrying a cross and with his back ripped to shreds, he carried the shame of everything you and I have ever done. He carried it out of the camp, into the wilderness, onto the cross, never to be seen again. The ultimate scapegoat. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our, trans our transgressions from us. When I was thinking about this, as I was preparing, I was thinking in terms of as high as the heavens are above the earth. It's like a vertical thing, isn't it? And as far as the east is from the west, it's across the, the horizontal. And as I was pondering on these things, in my mind I could see where these two things crossed. And I could see a cross. Now I'm not trying to bring in symbolism that wasn't intended. And I'm not trying to say that that's what that means. But just for me in that moment when I was thinking about it, it was just so helpful for me as a reminder that actually we see both the steadfast love of God but also the truth that our transgressions have been removed from us. We see both of those at the cross. I think God's steadfast love is nowhere more clearly demonstrated than at the cross. And actually John 3.16 says that it was, for, it was because of the love that God had for the world that he sent Jesus. But it's also on the cross that our guilt is cleansed and our shame is removed. Not just for one year, until next time the sacrifice has to be made again. No, we read in Hebrews 10. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Never 
needed to be repeated again. So just like David was so full of joy as a man who stood knowing that his sins were forgiven, we too can be joyful because of the work that Jesus has done for us, because of what Jesus has done. Knowing that our guilt has been cleansed and our shame has been removed, it doesn't mean that we're always going to get things right. But this is where we need to come back to what the scriptures say and to allow ourselves to be reminded of what the scriptures say in 1 John 1 9 says that if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so we need to be a people that quickly go to God a moment ago I said that for me it's not, it's not a, a, a constant battle but sometimes the whole thing around shame can be a thing for me. As I say, when things that I know I've repented of and I know God's forgiven me for, sometimes I can still hang on to them a bit and still feel, actually, maybe I need to just pray a little bit more. You know. Can't quite shake how I feel about that, but it's at those times that I need to remind myself of what Scripture says. And this is what Scripture says. This is, so I'm saying this to myself, but I'm saying this to you as well, particularly if you struggle with the whole thing around shame. Hebrews 8.12, which is actually quoted in a passage from Jeremiah, says, For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. If God chooses not to remember your sins anymore, then we do not need to be bound by the shame that our sin has. If we've repented and we've brought it before God, we know that we've been cleansed, but we also know that our shame has been removed. I don't want this to be heavy. But there is something very... um, When we remember what Christ has done, there is a certain element where it is solemn because we realise the seriousness and the gravity of, of what that meant. But look at the way that David was talking about the forgiveness he's received from God. This is a man that is full of joy. He's full of praise. And so actually, I want us to, when we think about what Jesus has done for us, we, I want us to be a people that are joyful when we are able to say the same things that David has said. And we too can use David's psalm as our own prayer. Isn't that wonderful? This prayer, that, this psalm, this psalm 103, why not use it yourself as your own prayer? Remembering the total removal of all of your sin and all of your shame that Jesus has taken for us. So just like David, we need to remember to rejoice. Not remembering as in, oh, better remember to rejoice. But to take time to remind ourselves of God and his benefits. Who is he? What has he done? What does he continue to do? What's he like? And as we allow ourselves this time and space, taking both biblical truth and speaking it to our, and so taking biblical truth, but also speaking it to ourselves, I honestly believe that our hearts will be affected, delighted, and changed by them. If we want to be a worshipping community, and my heart is that we are a worshipping community, if we want to be a worshipping community, I don't think that we can downplay or neglect our need to regularly 
remove ourselves and taking that time to remember and taking that time to meditate and allowing the truths of God to change us. Let's not be neglectful of that. And that can be a challenge and it can take time. Uh, it, it, it can take, well, it does take time, but it can be a challenge and it can take us really being determined to, to, to press in to that. So let's be like David. And allow God to come and change us as we reflect on his, and, and remember his benefits. Can I ask Lou, uh, Lou and Nigel, are you able to, to come up? Or just, just in terms of a response, I'd love us to, to come back and, and sing a song.